Okay, good evening. I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am for this because this is really what I have been looking forward to doing. And I know that there are a couple of you that have done this. And Scott, you are not here, so I'm going to let you know what the parameters are on this exercise that we are doing. Gabe has stepped down for the next couple of months because he is um, doing taxes and he is absolutely slammed. So what I am going to do um, is I have been praying for how we could do this as far as, we used to call it a preacher's class. It was homiletics. Um, and essentially what we're going to do is we've got two of you this week, which is Ryan and Sterling. I guess you flipped a coin to see who's going to go first. Um, and so what we're going to do is I want you guys to take some notes uh, on each one of them and we're going to critique them on how they approach the scriptures. There are certain things that you're going to be looking for. Number one, do they stay faithful to the passage as much as they have been able to study? And then number two, what is the application that we can make here? The application, as I have shared with some of you, especially Gabe, uh, Gabe and I have gone over several of these things already. Application is one of the hardest things that you can do on how to apply it because it's easy to read into the text what you want the text to say. And we don't want that. Okay, So I want to recommend that you guys take some notes. We are on a timer on each one of them. So what we're going to do is I would like somebody to time um, and basically they have a total of 15 minutes at 15 minutes. They're done one way or the other. They are done. Okay. If they don't get to the 15 minutes, if you get to say 14 or 13 and you've given all of your notes, just step down from the pulpit and we'll stop and we will record the time. Okay. Um, so we're going to do this for the next couple, uh, next few Thursdays. And, um, as we, do this again remember this is not about me this is about your study of the word of god where have you come to in this understanding and my goal is to be able to help you uh to be able to see number one as you said ryan it's going to get you out of your shell a little bit i can tell you it's one of the hardest things to do uh is to get up in front of somebody especially if you've never done it before um, but to be able to do that in a way that exudes confidence uh, is very difficult. I will tell you the first sermon that I ever preached, uh, Scott can probably relate to this, uh, the very first sermon that I ever preached, we were given 10 minutes, and there were six of us, there were six of us on a watch night service, um, which is New Year's Eve service, and... Uh, I had 10 points because I wanted to make sure that I did one point a minute. I got done in seven minutes flat, and I completely forgot one of the points when I sat down. That's you say a long prayer. Exactly, exactly. So a couple of, a couple of ground rules. Um, one of the reasons that you'll notice on a Sunday when um, I am sharing the word, I have already given my pastoral prayer by the time we get to the message. The message is the time for opening up the word of, word of God. And so if you wish to start off with just a brief prayer, um, we have already prayed this evening, but that's my recommendation is if you have an opportunity to speak somewhere, you give a brief prayer asking the Lord to open the hearts and the ears of the listeners and that you'll be able to faithfully deliver the word of God. And then once you've done that, 
open your mouth, let it fly. Okay? So the goal is not to be like somebody else. It's not to be like me or John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or anybody else. It's to do your best for the master. So I am encouraged by this. And uh, it's the same thing that we did in England. It's the same thing that we did in Liberia. Um, and I can tell you, and I will tell you over time, some very interesting accounts of what happened with some of the men in Liberia. It was hilarious um, watching these men. But as they grow, grew in their faith and as they began to grow in their doctrine, you could tell the difference that actually began to come forth and exude from them as they realized that, yes, if I'm taking time to study, I'll be able to deliver the Word of God. Now, I will tell you that my prayer has been for you guys for a week um, already that you will. And we used to hate when my professor did this in homiletics class. But we would stand before we stood and he would say, Lord, help them to be able to deliver the things that they have studied and prepared for. No, 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 no. I've been busy this week. I've been on a date. I've been whatever. Help me to remember the things that I didn't study. No, that's not what we're here for. You want to remember the things that you did study. So, again, we've got two people this week. Um, Mike has already talked with me as well. When am I doing it? Well, I just, I'm just asking to verify. You talked with me on Sunday, but you didn't say that you definitely no, did one. No, I, I, I'm... I just want to know what part of the passage do I? Okay, so I we. Say, do I do? Yep. So we are working on basically anything from Hebrews chapter nine, verse eleven through the end of the chapter. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, there is a lot of material there. Hey, I'm trying to give you guys. Hey, it, listen. In each one of the Sermon on the Mounts, the, the Beatitudes that we're covering, I mean, we have been in this for almost two months now, and we've only gone through like three verses. So I'm not asking you to do that. I'm giving you an entire section to work with. Um, but what what I want you to do is... I can't. Huh? I can't do it in 15 minutes. We're not... I, Listen, you're you're misunderstanding you're misunderstanding the assignment. I'm not saying that you have to do eleven through twenty eight. I'm saying that's where I can't you do anything in fifteen minutes. <laughs> that's part of the assignment. So exactly. So we're de we'll deduct some time off of him. So here's what we're gonna do. You've got fifteen minutes. At the ten minute mark, at the ten minute mark, who who's taking time? I'll take it. Okay. So whoever's taking time at the 10 minute, just raise your hand. That's not, do you have a question? That's, that's your 10 minute mark, okay? And then at the 14 minute mark, you've got one minute left, okay? So 10 minute mark and then 14 minute mark. And then at 15, everybody can raise your hand if you're keeping track at 15 minutes and then they have to step away from the pulpit and sit down. Um, and then we'll have some thoughts, some critiques. Um, and again, as I shared, some of you weren't here. I know Scott wasn't. I don't think Sam was. Um, but when when we were talking in, in the class, one of the things that, that our professor told us every single class was always give something back. Always give something back when it comes to time. Learn to adapt. I can tell you my dad, if he was here, he actually wanted to share this with you, and I'm sure he's going to listen to this. Uh, he actually went into a church years ago when we were on deputation raising funds, 
and the pastor came up and told him, you've got five minutes to tell about yourself, your family, your mission field, and what you plan on doing over there. My dad's jaw hit the floor. Exactly. Well, it wasn't a very missions-hearted church to begin with. He actually took three minutes and sat down. No support, which was to be expected anyway. Uh, it was probably just a fill-in for that particular day. Um, over time, each of you will be given, if you're interested in going along with this part of the teaching and the training program, you will be given more opportunities and more time to be able to do that. But I want to see how you're able to do and manage the time that you've got. All right? Not luck. Exactly. Every blessing. Yeah. We yes, we can do that before I have you come up because that would actually take up quite a bit of time. Okay. So what we can do is if we want to go ahead and start right here. Um, I've got mine, and if you want to kick it off, uh, Brother Scott, and read eleven, and we'll just go around the table until we get to twenty-eight and finish that off. Which chapter? Oh, a nine. Sorry, Hebrews nine. Nine, just a, just verses eleven through twenty-eight. Eleven through twenty-eight. That's all we have. This, not the whole rest of the book. No, no, we're working. We're working oh. in. I don't think there's twenty-eight chapters. No, I, I, I get. I get what he his problem is, or what his thought is. Now he's thinking, man, I got to cover all of Hebrews no, in fifteen no. minutes. I thought it was no. <laughs> I can do one verse in thirty. Okay. Um, my point. I thought it was from chapter nine. Through the end. Oh, no, no, no. We could choose anything we wanted out of that. Yeah. Like, just go ahead and teach right. it type of thing. That's not what you're saying. No. So we're talking any message that you want to bring from verses 11 through 28. Ew. Okay? And then once we conclude that, then we'll work on chapter 10. But the point is here, we're working on these 18 verses. For example... And I'm probably going to give it away. I should have given you guys something as well. But you've got the substitutionary atonement of Christ in this section. That's one thing that you have. So at any rate, let's go ahead and kick this off. And Brother Scott, if you will start off with verse 11. <laughs> but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. Sorry. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of, the, of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish unto God, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where will exist the death of the one will make it must be established. Where it will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Scott? Where are we going to? At uh, 28, to the end of the chapter. 
For when every commandment has been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all of all the people. Saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of his ministry he sprinkled with the blood. And according to the law, I may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. Apart from shedding of blood, there is no remission. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest entered the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it appointed for man to die once and after this comes judgment. That would be another verse you could spend the whole time on. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Okay. Thank you. So a couple of things to remember as we're moving forward. If you have a short period of time, my recommendation is that you stick with the passage that you're actually going to minister from. So don't announce an entire passage. Don't announce Psalm 119 if you're only going to cover verse 1 and 2. Okay, so you're not reading the whole thing. Um, now we've already read it for the sake of the of the exercise this evening, but my recommendation would be to announce this is the section that I'm covering or these are the verses. And when you're putting your outline or your thoughts together, you want to be able to have enough of a cohesiveness in there that, that number one, somebody who is taking notes should be able to write down this is main point number one, number two, number three, whatever it may be. Now again, this is going to take time. Some of you maybe you're not familiar with that. Um, but this is really just an exercise because I want to see how you guys do. Um, and ultimately, as some of you already know, Scott and I have talked about this, Gabe and I have talked about this, Mike and I have, Sam and I have touched base on this briefly, my boys know, uh, eventually the goal should be in a local church that pastors and elders are raised up within that congregation, not from outside the congregation. And it may be that there may be somebody here that actually is called to do that. Um, we don't know, but my goal and my job in ministry is to actually help you get to that point. And uh, because I don't believe that the, I don't believe that the qualifications found in First Timothy three and Titus one um, apply just to the pastor. I believe that that should be the ideal standard that applies to every man who is in the congregation. Okay. So thank you again. Uh, we are currently at fifteen minutes. And uh, so as soon as he gets up here, gets his stuff positioned, um, if you want to signal to Scott or whoever, Scott's taken the time, but if you want to signal to Scott, that will start your time. All right? Go ahead. Yeah, sure. All right, we're supposed to take notes. I'm not prepared at all.
Just, just, just bring some if there's some in there. Yeah. No. Did anybody did anybody bring the rotten eggs? I just want to make sure we're ready to go. Tomatoes. Tomatoes, yeah. Um, yes. There's a guy I visited the other day at my one of my homes. His name is um, Clint Goodman. And he apparently has heard the word before. Kinda has a drunkenness problem. Well, I had to go by there to fix something and I could tell he's been drinking a little bit, but he was not uncoherent. And we sat and talked, and he said something to me. He tried to tell me, but you're my hero, because I was in the military. And he was too. And I said, I'm nobody's hero. Well, at that point, I shared the gospel with him. We sat down. He almost broke out in tears. And I told him, you know, your answer to your problems, and he admitted it's all his problems, recently divorced, everything, is basic Christ. Yep. So we got to say a prayer for yep. Clint Goodman sometimes. Yes. Okay. Ryan, come on up, brother. All right, so I kind of did all the verses 11 through 28 and picked out some verses that I had studied and would like to share some of the things I learned from some of these verses. So the first verse I have is... Verse 12, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Think about that. Because He secured for us an eternal redemption. His work can never be undone. He conquered death and sin for our sakes, and His blood covered us once and for all. And He died for us, yet while we were still sinners, His it says in Romans. And then moving on to verses 13 and 14. First, the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If we are believers in Christ, there's no reason to think our sins are not forgiven. Christ conquered sin. And I can't help but wonder, in the author's writing to the Jews in this time, if they were ever concerned about the offerings that they were giving to God, if they were acceptable to Him, if they were forgiven. The author's telling them Christ is the better sacrifice, and He's taken away their sins forever. There's no reason to continue going back to the temple to offer the sacrifices. Their conscience should be clear and to serve the Lord and worship Him. We serve a living God. He rose from the grave. Give Him your life and the works of the old law are dead. The old sacrifices, they cleanse the outside priests, so that the priest could go inside the temple to offer for atonement. Christ's sacrifice cleansed the heart. I think of Luke when the Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke when the Pharisees are saying to the disciples, "Why are saying to Jesus, why don't your disciples not wash their hands?" And Jesus tells them, 
You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but you're full of greed and wickedness. <laughs> they were concerned about how they looked on the outside, not the heart. <laughs> and then moving on to it, verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The first covenant wasn't salvific. There's a set of rules for communion with God. And this covenant showed us where we fall short. It showed us our sinfulness. And it showed us how holy God is. The people of the Old Testament were saved looking forward. They were covered by the sacrifices, but they were cleansed by Christ's death. Their obedience was a sign of faith and love and reverence for God. Christ was the perfect sacrifice, and after he entered into the true temple, not the man-made copy, for a, not the man-made copy put into heaven to mediate for us before God. The perfect tabernacle is in the presence of God. And Christ entered once for all with his holy blood. He didn't need the ram's blood to enter. It was his blood. And he doesn't have to continually enter to offer sacrifices for us. It was done with what he did for us on the cross. And then jumping ahead to verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Sin requires the shedding of blood. And when we see in the sacrifices the shedding of blood, it refers to death. Romans 3.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And with that, I want to turn to... Genesis when sin first entered the world. In Genesis verse, chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. And I'll read those real quick. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they realized they were naked, and they were ashamed. The light bulb went off. They'd been naked this whole time. But as soon as they ate, they knew that they'd sinned against God and that they had done something. So they did the first thing that a lot of people try to do is Let's hide it. So they covered themselves with fig leaves. And they couldn't cover their sin or or even hide them from God. And we see God come into the garden calling out for them. He knew where they were. And they showed up and God's talking to the serpent. And in verse 15 we see the first foretelling of a Messiah to come. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. The offspring of the woman. Was going to conquer sin. 
And then in verse 21 of Genesis, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Garments of skin had to have come from an animal. Something had to die to make those garments. And what did God tell Adam and Eve would happen if they ate from that tree? That they'd surely die. And they didn't die right away. In God's grace, I, I think this here is, the, we see the first sacrifice of kind of looking forward to a substitutionary death in Christ. I think this is the first sacrifice we see. Blood had to be shed for sin. A death had to occur. This is the first physical death that was in the world. And it was an animal. It should have been Adam and Eve for their disobedience. But God killed this animal to make a covering for them. It's just a foretaste of what Christ would do for us on the cross. And now... We look in Hebrews and we see that Christ was a better sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. The blood of goats and lambs, unblemished and all, couldn't take away our sins. They could only cover them. Like the song that Scott's been introducing to us, only a better Moses, a better high priest, a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. And so, looking at the last two verses in Hebrews and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him and we are eagerly waiting for Christ to return I think of the Jews waiting for the priest to come out in the of the tabernacle. I'm sure they were eagerly waiting for him to come out, that he hadn't been killed in there, that their sacrifice had been accepted by God. Now we wait for his return. But he's not going to return to offer up a sacrifice. He's going to come back for us. How much better will it be when he returns? The work is done. And we can have confidence in that. It doesn't mean that we stop confessing our sins. As 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We continue to confess our sins. But when we're confessing, are we flipping about it? Are we, I had this thought, God, come into my head? Or. Or are we really looking at the sacrifice that Christ made? Are we thinking about what he truly did for us? I think the repetitive sacrifices in the Old Testament probably made those people a lot more aware seeing the blood. Just like communion should be a reminder for us. That's what I have. Okay. So we want to work on this first section. And we're going to write some notes up here and then we're going to let Sterling go. 
I want to encourage you. It's something that I don't do a lot. Um, it's something that I've never fully been comfortable with, but I am working on it. And that is when somebody in the world, if you will, does something really good. They play a nice piece on an instrument or whatever. What do we do? Clap. Okay. So I don't think that the word of God is to be clapped for as a performance. But what we can do is we can say amen. So I would like to extend my amen to you. Amen. Because amen simply means so be it. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but it means I agree. It, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like the Old Testament law. Meditate, think about this. So when I'm actually standing on a Sunday, for example, and I say, and all God's people say, Amen. I'm expecting everybody to be able to say that they're in agreement if they believe they have heard God's word. So, very good, brother. Um, I'm going to reserve my thoughts until after I hear from you guys. Um, I want to hear both good and bad. He's ready to take notes uh, or constructive criticism. Don't forget, just because he was first, uh, he gets to listen to you guys. And how you respond to him is how he's... No, I'm gonna, just kidding. He's not going to do that. So who would like to share something, just a quick point or... Two of what you heard. Short. Short. Just short little bullet points. If if you, if you want to write something to him, um, we can actually, uh, you're actually welcome to go on to Slack, for example, and put a lengthier thing on the Thursday men's class uh, so that others who are not here tonight can actually see that as well. So, or personally, exactly. All right. Yes. Reference back to Genesis 3, that's called the Prolegomena? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 sorry. Uh, Genesis, well, Genesis 3 is the, the Prolegomena simply means introduction. It's a fancy Greek term meaning the beginning of the introduction, essentially. Um, but the Protoevangelium is actually the first mention of the gospel. That's found in Genesis 3.15. That tells what... Christ would do what would happen to the serpent and what would happen to mankind. Thank you. Okay. Yes, Mike. Um, good and bad. Most. Okay. All right. Or, like, or, or good and constructive. Yeah, constructive. Okay. I really like that I was able to distinctly pick out the points that you're making. And I wrote them down. Eternal redemption, Christ cleanse the heart, the inner side, not just the out. He does the whole heart where the past does that. He does just the books. That's what the world does. Um, um, the shedding of the blood and the, the mediator in the new covenant. You made four distinct major points and you listed what verses they were in, which was good because you're able to find them. I mean, it just took quick blurbs on each one so I can remember, but there were four. And then you went to Genesis and you, in making an argument using the Old Testament scripture, this is how it applies to us. Yep. And I really like that a lot. And how you reference the first sacrifice. And at the same point, at the end of that, which I really like too, is you mention the grace of God because he could have killed him right away. Yet God still let him have the grace to live a life. Uh, how long did he live? A long time. 930 yeah. years. 
and so have the rest of us because he's delaying, it's almost like the grace of God is delaying his actions of death ultimately in order for those in the future to be saved. And you kind of mentioned that, how slow that. The only thing that's constructive, obviously, is the time management part. He had five more minutes. So. Yeah. Well, it, it, it was good because he gave some time back. Um, so I want to ask you, do you, how long did you think it felt like, besides forever? <laughs> so I practiced this week with Katie. Oh, good. Sister. Yeah. So my first time going through, I was probably right around the 10 minute mark. Okay. Um, tonight I had gone home after work and studied some more, tweaked my notes, and I was right around 12 and a half minutes. Okay. Well, of course, I told Katie, as soon as I get up there, I'll probably be talking fast. <laughs> <laughs> happens every time. Yep, happens I every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was good. So it was 10 minutes, and you thought that you might be around 12, 12 and a half. Yep. Sorry, I was supposed to give a quick word, wasn't I? <laughs> yep, okay. Anybody else? I would just say, anytime you deal with public speaking and you jump right in, give yourself an opportunity to to relax a little bit, and sometimes that helps with setting up a background, setting up a context of what we've been reading, what we've been studying. So sometimes with a sermon or any time you start to talk, give yourself an opportunity to literally just kind of exhale, because you get up there and, and then you talk really, really fast, instead of having an opportunity to just relax, knowing, I mean, you've never laughed at anybody that's been up there, I always tell my kids, You've never laughed at anybody who was up in front of you, mm -hmm. and no one's going to do the same to you. That's just—it's just hard because, well, it's just weird because yep. it's not—it's not what we're. I mean, the, the fear of public speaking is always one of the highest things that is typically ever ever listed. But a, it's not as hard, hopefully, here because we all we all have talked within our our group, and it's not that big a deal. But I think giving yourself maybe some an opportunity to talk a little bit about background, context, because anytime I think you're giving an opportunity to speak, you want to bring maybe somebody that's not quite up to speed kind of where you're at. Yep. Jumping into the deep end, it's kind of like working yourself into the deep, you get into the four points. You're going to get there, give yourself that, and then, and then also then being able to take that same introduction and use that time you have at the end and almost use that introduction as a conclusion to kind of wrap it all up as you're talking that's and that's just kind of generalized public speaking but realistically in a sermon you're like you were saying you're trying to get this application across there has to be a convincing in order for them to apply yep. it because you can't just say now go forth and do it if they don't really aren't really convinced in that give yourself that opportunity at the beginning at the end to kind of just bring people along with your study journey that you've been going through and I, I think that'll help slow you down and that doesn't mean you get up there and you tell a joke I mean that just depends on kind of your delivery but I think you have the ability to just breathe and you're fine in what you said if, you're, you jumped right into the deep end. Okay. Give yourself a time to work up. Get us all involved where, because you've studied it. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't know so where you, I don't know how you got to that point. Give us maybe just a little bit of, a, of an introduction and you could say something like by way of introduction this is where we're at this is where we've been this is what the book is about i mean it could be essentially one paragraph good good thoughts however let me just add one more point here if you stand up and start with a joke you will get an f <laughs> that's correct even if it's a biblical joke I, the, 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 the pulpit has to, and I know what you're saying. I, well, I wasn't saying no, no, no. Tell a joke, but just yeah. something to. Something, you, something. In, yeah. In the sense of in an introduction, I, actually, I said, you don't get up and tell a joke. It's just a, you get up there and just something to give you an opportunity to get everybody where yep. we're at. I can tell you that when I was in class, if we stood up and told a joke, we, we the teacher told us to sit down, we failed immediately. Yeah, because because there there's this to me is a sacred desk, and it has to be treated that way. So an illustration, a biblical illustration, is perfect. Um, you might have, uh, you might start off and say, John Calvin noted that, and you give us the brief quote, and that might kick it off into something that you've read on Hebrews nine or whatever the passage is. So great, great, great thoughts. Anybody else? Okay. Um, I have a couple of things that I want to share with you as well. Uh, number one, I like the tie-in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That was pretty evident. You've got the chronological approach there. If you've got somebody in your congregation who doesn't understand, it's easy to say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian or I'm religious or what I'm whatever, but you went back to the start of the problem. You went back to Genesis 3. That is great. Um, and in fact, I've said it. I've said it to you guys before, and you're probably going to start paying more attention in the way that you're delivering. But how does John the Baptist do it? Sin, righteousness, coming judgment. Paul to Agrippa: Sin, righteousness, the coming judgment. That's what we're getting to. Um, so good tie-in. Um, I liked the bringing in the better and the best comparison. So again, you go to the Old Testament, you go to the sacrificial system, you bring it into the New Testament. This is what Christ has done. This is a better that has come. Then you went into Genesis 3, 6, and 7. You covered Genesis 3, 21. Again, talking about the skins that God made them, the covering. And yes, the blood was there. So again, you've got that tie-in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is there not just for our example, but it's there to point us to Christ. Um, and so bringing, bringing that in, that was great. Um, if I had one constructive point that, that, that I could add, it would be this. Make it personal. There was, a lot of, there was a lot of facts. There was a lot of Bible that was there. But I want to remind you what when, when Mike and I went down to Steve Lawson's ex expository workshop, which that was like, man, I can't believe that was almost, what, two years ago now? Um, and we went down to that workshop. I was really convicted. Because it's one thing to stand and just give the facts of the Bible. But he said, I never let it. In fact, he didn't even do it. He spoke for two days. And at the end of every single session, he said, if you don't know Christ... And then he made the application from the message that he shared. He said, I don't care whether I'm on the radio, somebody's eventually going to hear it, and it may be that God uses that to bring somebody to faith. So that would be 
I like the Old Testament connection. I like where Adam and Eve was. I like the fact that you said for all of sin, the wages of sin is death. That was a great segue. The only thing that I didn't notice was making it personal. You have sinned. I have sinned. You see what I'm saying? So because we have sinned, there has to be something that covers us in the Old Testament. And then you could have gone back to the Old Testament at that point and said, Genesis 3 Chapter 3 tells us that God had to do this for Adam and Eve. We come to the New Testament and we have a better, we have the best that has come in Jesus Christ. And what this means for you and I is this. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ today, the blood of the new covenant has been shed for the remission of sins. And that means that today, if your sins have not been covered or you have never seen that acknowledged, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart this evening or today. Today can be the day of salvation. That wraps it all up. See what I'm saying? Yep. So, we great. Don't wanna, we don't want to assume people know. Never want to assume. Yep. Never, never want to assume. When, when the night that I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was actually February the 21st, 1987. You told me it was February 20th. I had to look it up because it was the 20th or 21st. But it was actually the 21st. I was wondering if you were referencing, but That's with everything with Dad, I've just... Right. It's been a rough week. But I looked it up. It was a Saturday evening, um, and there was a congregation of two, me and the professor. And he made it very real to me that night. So we never want to assume. Good job. Thank you, brother. Okay. Sterling, are you ready with your timer, Mr. Scott? By the way, I know Mike had said something, but I want to make sure if you want to take next week um, one of the 15-minute slots you can, or if you want more time, or somebody else wants to, if two of you want to take 15-minute uh, slots next week, then I need to know who would like to do that. Next week, you're saying? Next week. Next Thursday. you got one week. All right, so same? Same passage. Okay. Yep, 11 through 28. Yep, okay. Anybody else? Nobody else? N nothing like the present. Oh, he did? If you just pick a certain part in between there, it's okay too. You can cover just one verse if you want to. One passage, if that's what you want to do. But remember, this this isn't, we're not waffle makers. So we want to make sure that whatever passage we're covering, it, we're not just speaking off the top of our heads. We're actually preparing waffle. We want to make sure that what we're preparing is actually covering the passage itself. Okay? So if you would like to be one of the other ones as well, or if you want to wait for two weeks and take the next section, um, again, be 15-minute slots, and we'll just talk about it like we are now. All right. So here we go, and Sterling. So as Father said, let's start with a word of prayer real quick, and then we'll get into the passage. Father, I pray you'll be with my mouth this evening as uh, I'm talking that it would be clear and concise and be with uh, the men here that they would 
have something that would be applicable to them and that it could change their lives and that you'd be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty. <clears throat> the verses I picked were verse, verses 11 through 14. The, very, the first three verses. So first, what do we see in the passage? Christ appeared as a high priest of things to come. And what were those things to come? Giving himself as a substitutionary atonement for the sins of those who are his. The Old Testament was what foreshadowed Christ, pointing forward to his coming, just as we look back on his death. He was a perfect sacrifice. The Israelites had a tabernacle made with human hands, and now he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with human hands, as to say, not of this creation. They had Moses, and now a better Moses had come. They had sacrifice. They had sacrifices, but now an even better and more perfect sacrifice appeared. They had high priests atoning with sacrifices yearly, and now the sacrifice was made once for all, for who for all who would believe on his day, his name. His death covered the sin they obtained. His death covered the sin they obtained a yearly respite, but we obtained eternal redemption. Second, what is this referencing? We see the tabernacle made with human hands in its imperfection in the Old Testament. That is in Exodus, starting at chapter 26. We see the type, which is the earthly tabernacle, and we see the antitype fulfilled in Christ Jesus through his death on the cross. So what is this tabernacle that he entered through? The tabernacle is being conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he lived a sinless life as being fully God and fully man, which in being so was able to take our sin upon himself and die on the cross, and through that we became the righteousness of God through his death. John MacArthur puts it this way, There is no access to God apart from Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, men have access to God. So first, the Holy Spirit is concerned with presenting Christ in this book. Because if you're going to get to God, you must accept the fact of who Christ is. If you're not willing to respond to Christ, then you have cut off the only access. So he begins with a clear presentation of the superiority of Jesus Christ and tells us that he is superior to everything and everyone. Verse 13 and 14 of chapter 9 of Hebrews says, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God? We've gone over many times what the offering was for by the Israelites and how much they were sacrificing at the altar. It freed the Israelites it freed the Israelites temporal punishment and from being unclean. And I think your main focus needs to be put on verse fourteen. The plan had been right from the foundation of the world that Jesus would come down to earth to be the sacrifice. He did die and he didn't have a backup plan because he wanted to do something just because he wanted to do something different from what he planned. Being fully God and fully man 
Christ offered himself as a perfect sacrifice and made atonement between God and man through himself. Because of that, we can now see what he has done for us and how he took on the full wrath of God and became our sin and took that de death penalty that we rightly deserve. The only man who could ever be able to atone for the sins of his people. In John 17, <clears throat> in the priestly prayer, Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, and they be, may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love, have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. So not only was Jesus praying for his disciples, he also prayed for those of us who would be God's children, who he died for. We talk about the five solas and how it should affect our life. Verse 24 is the solo deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. We are weak, pitiful, frail human beings, and it pleased God to crush his only son for us, his creation us being his creation. Because God had a plan, nothing took him by surprise. So what the Israelites did, did not shock him. In Romans 11, uh, Paul says, I say then, uh, 11, 11 through 15, I say then, did they stumble so as to fall? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their fail failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will, will their fullness be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. For if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them, for if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, what, were they accept what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? There have been times before when I've said that I'm thankful that the Israelites did what they did, and that is a wrong view. God had it in motion that they would do that right from the start. And that would be to, he would include us. So how does this affect us? 2 Peter 1.3 says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And 1 Peter Chapter 1. And if you address the Father as the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your sojourn, 
knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your futile conduct inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but appeared in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God did not save us. He did not die on the cross to allow us to wallow in our muck and filth of our sin in this world. He separated us to himself and to keep in that sin is rebellion towards him. In reality, when we sin, it's rebellion and we are telling God that his sacrifice was for nothing. I'm not saying we'll be able to come sinless on earth, but I'm talking about willful sins. When God saves us, he changes our desires, our wants, our pleasures to line up with His. Our human nature was in full rebellion against God. And now that He is our Master, we can serve Him by His strength. It's not an easy task, and we will have ups and downs, as everyone does. But because Christ has redeemed us, we are in His camp, and He is our Master. As we went through in this last Saturday class, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. Are you meditating on his word? John Owen said, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. And Dwight L. Moody also said, The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. Is there a sin keeping you from enjoying and being happy in your relationship with Christ? If there is a sin keeping you is there a sin keeping you from God's word? If there is, look to him to take that sin away. As 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Start today, start now, don't wait. Don't allow your conscience to be filled with dead works, but let God continue to work in you and through you for his glory. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or understand, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. constructive. I thought he did a good job on making the application clear. Okay. Yep. Is there an area that you saw that could have made it a little clearer? I'm just asking for no, clarification. No, I, think, no? I think he did a good job making the application. Okay. All right. Mike. I've known Sterling a while now. And uh, 
uh, it's obviously he reads and studies a lot. Yep. And he knows what resources to put as an application. You're really good at that. You have a lot of, even though on a day-to-day -day when we talk, there's a lot in your head that doesn't come out on a regular basis. But when you do it in a lesson like this, you can see that you, you know a lot of different things and different old-school um, commentaries and quotes, and you're able to build your argument. The only thing, and I'm, and I'm doing this because I'm scared. I'm fast <laughs> And I'm literally like, oh, no. But I don't want to be critical. But you looked up at us three times less than a second the whole time you were there. You looked up at us only three times less than a second. Yeah. So in, that, in fact, Scott had his hand raised for 30 seconds to be able to show you the time had 10 minutes had passed. So the only thing is with your arguments, you're, and I, if, if I was reading a, a book, that's what you did. You read your whole thing to us. Only thing is by looking up at us, you involve the audience into your argument, and that engages us. That's all. Other than that, I know you're knowledgeable, and it's scary. I'm scared too right now. Okay. I don't want to criticize. No, no, no. no that's good. Microtone, like you can tell when you're really getting more excited about something, or like you're trying to make a point, but maybe take it like a breath, kind of like your eyes. Pause to let us meditate on what you're saying too. Okay. Does anybody know what a diacritical mark is? <laughs> nice try. A diacritical mark. Yeah. Do you have something? I got critical mark out of it. <laughs> they're, mark, they're marks that are used to be able to indicate, particularly when you are doing editing, um, to be able to make notations of certain aspects. You missed a space here, paragraph indentation here, things like that, okay? Um, that is a great way when I first started. That That is actually is a, a good comment, and I'm going to cover that as well. But to have those little marks, even to have out to the side, our professor used to tell us all the time, if you have to write breathe in there, we don't want you to do the whole sermon in for 10 minutes in one breath. Um, of course, nobody was doing that, but, you know, Write, write in your notes what you need to do. Make eye contact. Whatever the, the, the constructive criticism is that's coming out, make yourself notes so that you remember that. After a while, it's like, for example, if you play an instrument, when you first start off, they have to put the letters on the lines. F-A-C-E, every good boy deserves fudge on the signature or treble clef. And after a while, you begin to know and recognize what that note is just by looking at the page, you can tell what the notes are. Does it go up or down? Is this a half step, a whole step? Is this a sharp or a flat? And the same thing with when you're making yourself notes to be able to go through that. And I think that would have helped you as well when we were uh, talking about not just making it personal, but you could write in there, make this personal right here or whatever. Scott, did you have something? I, my comments really are, I really like your references to other points and studies that we've done. Yes. When you do that, you really give us an opportunity to reflect and to personalize us because it's not just you talking to us. It's involving us as, as, a, um, 
as learners, as studiers. That, oh yeah, that's right, we were talking about the solos and how does this reflect to that. So it does engage our brain, not just trying to ingest what it is you said or what it is you're saying and trying to tell us. Um, understand too, I come, from, I come from a teaching background and so there's always this educational side of me. Okay, what is it I'm trying to teach and how can I get them to understand why they want need to know this? It's, so it's, you're doing that and so you have those other points and references that we're looking at and you're saying, okay, this is important because this is why we studied this here. You're building on that. Oh, okay, I had to know this in math in order to know this now. So those are really, really important things. So Mike, as you're going and you're listening to this and, and whomever, you know, whoever's next, I, I think that when we when we get it's it's a buy-in. We're buying into what you said because we've already agreed on this past. You're making a point that we've already agreed on. You're just reminding us of that. On the opposite side of that is is the reading. You have a gob of knowledge. But I was I was trying to wade through one one of the statements you met you read, but you never let me have a chance to ingest what you said. Process it was it. listening through a fire hose. You were reading it because it was all there. None of what you said was wrong. <laughs> At least I... what I could catch up. It's just it's to slow down. It's to breathe. It's it's all of those things, and it is. It's it's making sure that if you've ever gone up in front, and I know you've done this, you've looked out into an audience, and you see this. Okay. There's a number of reasons for that. A, they're not engaged. B, they had a long night last night. They're never, you know, they haven't had any sleep. But you act, recognize what's going on. Maybe you need to change your tone. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to move uh, a little bit just to kind of keep, I'm a pacer. Standing behind a pulpit is, is, to me was really, really hard. A whiteboard was definitely, that's my jam. But when it came to, when it, came, when it comes to that, that audience interaction, knowing your material, almost to the point where you can almost take a bullet point of the information you have and break those into your paragraph that you had, you could almost take that and put that into like sentence fragments. And it's okay not to have, unless it's a direct quote that you really want to make sure that's being said, it's okay to say what you mean here, but make sure we're with you. And that sometimes means you just know the material, you look down and you know, okay, I gotta say this. And you say it, and then you work with us because we are part of you. So do I just add extra after? Because when you say like that sentence, I think you find to reflect it, which I just add extra. Well, sometimes, or just, you know, giving, you know, just a, a different pause or, or just a different delivery. I mean, you had a lot of information, and you were done in 10 minutes. You could slow down and give, your, give that same amount of information and let us be part of that digestive process of what you're saying. And everybody has a different style. Uh, for example, one of the things that maybe you picked up on with Steve Lawson, he repeatedly said every session, are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? And he was looking out and he was looking at people because if you miss something, he wants you to understand. Because if all you've done is fire hosed everybody in, in your teaching or in your message and everybody walks out and everybody's scratching their head going... What in the world was he on about? You lost him. So, so one of the things that I know that if you if you sat down and 
and looked at if you looked at Abby's notes on Saturday, she's she her notes are, are prolific. I could I could almost recount what Marcus said because she, that's how she processes. She hears it and she's writing it. And she's just writing it down and then she goes back and listens. I have three things, but I've taught I have two points, but I've taught because I kind of know what I want to say. And I have, these are the points, but I can tell you that I can talk to her right afterwards, and I have the ability to tell her what I've already thought. She has to go back and read it. There's a, so you're going to have a gazillion different methods within your audience. I'm one of them that can sit and listen, and I go, okay, I'm really tracking. If I have a hard time, if I have to write something down, a lot of times I get wrapped up in what it is I'm writing and I've missed what you've said, if I don't have a chance to take a note or make a, a bullet point or something, I kind of lie, okay, I got crap, where, where were you? Okay, yep. you know, that's just my brain, I'm a little scattered. That's the way I roll. But for, for that is just giving an audience, let them be part of it. Because you, you have good stuff. Yeah, and, and for example, well, I'm gonna let you guys finish. And then I'm going to, I'll share. Do you have anything else, Scott? Sam's got great notes. Okay. He's like my wife. I've been watching him sitting there writing the whole time. Well, yeah, Vi it. Violet does the same thing. She's she's writing. I mean, she's got a whole yeah. diary she writes. I like that you, you mentioned the five solos and then you actually touched back on all five of them. You didn't, like, just blurt out five solos and expected us to, like, know even though you didn't say solo. Touched on the basis of what they mean or re are represented in the passages that you shared. We weren't we weren't chanting uh, Latin, but almost. <laughs> Sorry, British humor, right, Sam? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? Is there another joke? Uh, communication between Sam and I. It was an inside joke. You know, inside jokes from the front to the group is almost like a secret. Secrets are terrible. I know. <laughs> so he was actually asking me about the confessions, and we were talking about the catechism that we were using. And he asked if we were going to be doing more of that. And I said, yes, that's my intention. And as long as somebody doesn't start speaking or chanting in Latin on Sunday, we'll be good. I actually started laughing. <laughs> All right, did you have anything? Um, it was good info, but for me, it just felt like one long run-on block. The, the breaks, the, there needs to be some breaks. Because at one point, you were, I thought you were reading out of the Bible, but you were reading off of your remarkable your notes, and I thought you were reading scripture. <laughs> I'm like, what? Where is that? <laughs> you just kept on going. That's the Sterling Revised Edition. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I, yeah, yeah, good info and stuff, and, and I guess, you know, it's, it, for me, it's tying it back into the Hebrews 9, and what was the application out of that? That's what I tried to do. Yeah. Start, start strong with the types of shadows, and then you went to your gospel message, but then you didn't like bring it back with the five solos. That's kind of what I was at, too. 
So let's let's go back over to verse 24 because I, I want to point something out Hebrews for you. Nine. Hebrews 9, and or verse 14, sorry. You were on 11 to 14. Wow. So here's... Here's a couple of points that, that that I made. First of all, I wrote down the passage that you were going to speak on, which you actually did. You gave a brief prayer. Um, that was good. Um, my very first note was slow down. My second note, with four stars out beside it, is look up. Because there wasn't any looking up. You did not engage us at all in, in throughout, throughout the teaching. And I realized... Again, and, and I want to be very careful because I've walked this path. I know what it's like to have to work your way through having to deal with some of this stuff. It's not easy. I've said it even on Sunday. If you think that you know you could do it better on a Sunday, stand up and try to do it, and you'll find out how hard it actually is, whether it's music or playing a guitar or playing a piano or whatever it may be. Okay, So look up, though. And when you, when you look up, your, your notes... Your notes can be a hindrance if all you're doing is reading your notes. Because you have to be able to have, like you said, that was first one of the first points you made. You have to make the connection between me and when I... I can't tell you who looked at me on a Sunday. I'm just going to tell you straight. I cannot tell you who looked at me because I am in the zone. Scott knows what this is. But when you are in the zone... And you are ministering. You can scan. I've had people come up and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I had to take Junior. I had to take Susie out to the nursery. You got them left? I never saw you. Now, somewhere in my deep conscience, I probably did notice that. But I am so focused on delivering the word of God. If somebody gets up and moves, I can tell you that, that in my mind, if somebody gets up and moves on this side to move out, I'm going to shift my attention to this side so that people are actually paying attention over here instead of worrying about who's going out the door. Okay? So, looking up. The Exodus 26, again, just like Ryan did, an excellent Old Testament tie-in. I think you should have stayed in Exodus 26 a little bit longer. You should have made a little bit more connection with us, not just as the Old Testament example, but what this actually means, because here, here's what I noticed, and I'm going to go with Gabe on this and with Scott in that, like Scott said, it was like a fire hose. You gave us a ton of information, and like Gabe said, though, you started off with the scripture, you read verse 11, and then you lost me even. Because I I followed, and I thought every point that you made was good, but here's 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 what I noticed. You began throwing in some words, for example, like anti-type. Never assume your, your congregation knows what these words are. Because if we're using theological terms and, and, and you lose people and it's like, oh, here comes another one of those big words and you're looking it up on your phone trying to figure out what it means, then, then you've potentially lost that individual from hearing. So you could you could have said for example this is a type and an anti-type what we mean here is one sentence that's all it would have taken just to give a basic understanding so that people know that's a really good point i know that that um it's been really exciting to watch um watch abby as she's learned the words that i grew up knowing not grew up 
as I grew, as I've grown through different things, knowing a lot of the terms. Yep. And when she will encounter those and know them, she gets excited. Hey, I now know what that means. And um, as as we have watched and have listened to different things, we encounter a lot of times we encounter those words. Then all of a sudden, because now it's it's relevant. Mm-hmm. I call it the new car theory. You start looking for a new car, and then all of a sudden you start seeing the car that you've been looking at, and you've never seen that car before until you start looking at it. You start doing that with vocabulary. Yes. When we become f- familiar and become part of that, it's exciting. And I think when you give an opportunity to give context, give definitions, and give application, even within that real quick of a new word or a word that you like to use, man, does it make a big difference for those that are going you know, like you said, they're looking at their phone, and you know that—that's yep. a really good point. For for example, Sterling and 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 you, I think it was you, um, Scott, that brought it up. As far as the tie-in, yes, you did. You brought the tie-ins as far as previous things that we have learned. Does anybody remember what I did at the beginning of my message on Sunday morning? We were in the first part of dealing with. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What did I do in the introduction? Okay. Does anybody remember? You did a run over of the other uh, two, two, three. I did one short paragraph. I said, this is what we learned in first beatitude. This is what we learned in the second beatitude. This is what we learned in the third beatitude. Right into the message. So again, that tie-in, this is, this is what we've done. So let's say, for example, we have a brand new person who comes here on a Thursday night. And they show up. They have no clue what we're on about, and so they're trying to play catch-up. We have been going through the book of Hebrews. It could be something as simple as, we've been going through the book of Hebrews now for six months, and as Gabe has said, and you're quoting a part, something that that Gabe has said, um, and that brings us now to chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 to 14 now. Um, that could be a, a that could be a notation in your in your remarkable or your Kindle or whatever it is that somebody's wanting to use iPad, and you make a note to yourself. Look up and engage the audience at this point. Now we don't want to have too many gestures. Some people, I mean, if you're Italian, you speak with your hands. Um, but but some people, this is all may, they may ever do is just stand behind the pulpit. If you'll notice, there are some days that are worse than others for me, and I'm holding onto the pulpit so I don't fall over because of my vertigo. But I have never, even before I didn't have vertigo, I was never a pacer. But some people are. Some some people, if you were to actually time a 40-minute message, they might have four minutes behind the pulpit. The rest of the time, they're actually walking back and forth, sharing, gesturing, standing over to the side of the pulpit, engaging with the con- congregation. Listen, I'm talking to you. Have you ever seen somebody sit down in a pew and... Yeah, well, I'm familiar with the Independent Baptist. Yeah, I know. I've seen it. Okay. Well, I, I think it's I think it's important. I mean, you look at somebody like you know, like a Lawson who who he's very very animated, but he doesn't move. But he he has gestures that are very routine for him. And um, MacArthur is very very stoic. Um, he is. You know, and, and it's not like they're not capable and they're not engaging in themselves. It's just them. That's yeah. their personality. What you don't see, I guess what I, I guess my point, I think the hardest thing that I've always dealt with is because I'm a pacer, I always worked off of a board. So again, my, my 
occupation before was was basically some some of it was my back to the back to my class. So as I would write or as I would do things, but there was there was that. We don't have that. I don't think we really have as much freedom that way because we are supposed to present something that's a lot more serious. Yeah. And I think it's hard is to not be because the verdicts of the world mm -hmm. are ridiculous. And they're not, it's almost to the point they're moving around and, and it's a clown show. Stephen Furtick is who he's talking to about, and, if you don't know. And it's just, there's, to me, there's got to be a balance. Yep. And, and that's the learning style, that's the learn. And it's for, you know, the nervousness and stuff like that that goes on anytime you're in front of people talking is being able to move a little bit versus wandering the stage. I don't sure. think we're supposed to look like a TED Talk. No. I don't think we're supposed to look like we're there to, you know, give a, a CEO presentation. I think we're there to present without, look at me. That is an excellent point because when we are, when I, when I first came here, things, things were pretty loose. And the interim pastor who was here just about every week would show up sometimes wearing shorts and a Hawaiian t-shirt. Number one, that is not Wyoming. And you do not do justice to the Word of God by showing up wearing shorts and a Hawaiian t-shirt to stand in front of a congregation that you're going to present the Word of God to. That may work if you're pastoring a church in Honolulu, but we're in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Okay? Now... The same, no, 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 no. That was not that was not intended to you. I realized as soon as I said that that somebody might think he was that. Was a pastor. That, yeah, that was. Yeah, that that was that was not the that was not the issue. So, when when we are when we are standing in front, the best way to have a consideration is to look at the mirror when you're preparing and ask yourself this. If I stand in front of my congregation looking like this or speaking like this or saying this or acting like this, am I drawing attention to myself, which is what you mentioned, or am I drawing attention to Christ? We had a lady in a church we were at years ago. I'm not going to say how long ago because I've talked about this church in the past. But we were in a church and every time she got an opportunity to stand up and sing a special she wore a number that came off of a fashion rack in Paris I think that she actually meant to give honor I don't think there was anything I knew this couple I don't think there was anything in this couple's intention to get up there and dress like a prostitute or to you know act in any untoward way but you know what it did? Um, let's let's be real here, okay? You know what it did to the men? Distracted. It was a distraction. Because what she was wearing drew attention to herself. It didn't draw attention to Christ. And so the elders actually talked about it in this church, and they sat down with her and her husband and a couple of the elders' wives and shared with her she had no clue what she was even doing. But you know, that's all it took. And she got up, and the next time she got up, she wasn't wearing a floor-length dress. But she was wearing a very modest dress 
that was not designed to bring attention to her body. Because that's all it takes. Because pity the poor pastor who has to stand up right after she's just worn a dress that the slit in the top almost matches the slit in the bottom. And that's where all the men's minds have gone, sadly. And then the pastor has to get up and direct our attention to now let's worship God in the Word. And again, I'm sharing these things because I've walked these paths and I know how difficult it is. So there's a reason why I wear what I wear now. It's not because I couldn't wear something else. And you'll notice that I've actually gone now to a point where I'm wearing a tie more Sundays than not. There was a long time I didn't wear a tie because it was a point of rebellion for me. Honestly. I mean, when you're working seven days as a funeral director and we had to wear a black suit and a white shirt and a tie every single day, even when we went to pick up a body at 3 o'clock in the morning, yeah, it got old. And so I'm the pastor. I don't have to wear a tie. But you know what? Going to Lawson's exposition and his expository conference, we were in the middle of the week, and he said, Men, you want to know why I'm wearing a tie? You want to know why I'm wearing a, a jacket? Here's why. Because it helps my mindset to be able to be fully prepared so I can deliver to you. If he came here on a Thursday night, I guarantee he'd be standing up here wearing a jacket. He said he told a story about when he was a kid how he had to get his clothes ready every Saturday night. Saturday his night. jacket, his shirt, his tie, his dad inspected to make sure he was ready. And polish his shoes. And he said, why? Was it because we didn't have anything better to do? He said, no, that wasn't the reason. He said, because what it instilled in me from the time I was a little boy is Saturday night is special because Sunday is coming. I'm not preparing this stuff Sunday morning. I'm getting up on Saturday or Saturday or Sunday morning. I've already got everything ready. All my clothes are ready. All my shoes are ready. My toothbrush is already laid out. I'm ready to get to church and worship God with God's people. And it was really, it was a, it was really a smack. It was really a stomp on my toes time. So a couple other points, and, and we'll be done. I want to encourage each one of you get in the habit now. The more you teach, or the more opportunities you have to teach, take your Bibles and turn with me too. Why would that be important? So people can follow along. Okay. That's a that's a great reason. Okay, and what else? Bereans. Bereans. Same point I made about confessions. Yep. I I say I don't know how many times I've gone to churches and it's the sermons on the board. Well, I didn't need to bring my Bible. It's going to be right there. Yep. Turn my Bible. Oh, I'm right. I forgot my Bible. Well, good thing I have it on my phone. But it is that habit of making sure you have the Bible because I'm going to use it. You've all heard me say it. If you don't have your Bible, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew. If you do not have a Bible, take that Bible with you as a gift from us. Because everybody needs to have a Bible. They need to be turned in the Bible. We can become so dependent on this. And and you may not. I'm going to challenge you right now. If you don't know the books of the Bible, if you can't recite all 66 books of the Bible, I would highly recommend that you work on that. You need to be able to know so that if you're in the middle of something and let's say the Holy Spirit reminds you of a passage and you're like, oh yeah, is, 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 that, is, that, 
is that like Old Testament or, or New Testament or no you have a better idea of where that book may be found and again it just shows your confidence but I believe the most important aspect of that is when I say take your Bibles I am pointing out to them I'm not saying it directly I'm saying it indirectly when I say to you take your Bible and turn with me I'm telling you this is God's word you and I must heed it this isn't my word. That actually brings up something that I wanted to mention to you, and I wrote it down, but then you followed through with it. You like did it. It was a one-off for you. You mentioned John, and you just mentioned the story. Everything else you gave a Bible verse for. Okay. I, and I say that uh, on yours. Um, a lot of times, I won't know a thought. I want to know that verse. I'll just really quickly write it down. And then if I want to go back and look at it, I know where to go. I don't have to try to remember. Okay, now, you said it was that. Now, what was the story? I okay. kind of lost them all. thought, you did it every other time, but that first time you did, oh, I wrote that sucker down. And then it was like Romans 3.23, you know, First John and Genesis 3. And I'm like, well, you already did it. I don't know why you didn't do that one if that one just came to your memory yep. uh, or whatever. But you're right. That helps. Helps everybody else. Two more points. Number one, make sure you give attribution where attribution is due. The comment that you mentioned, Sterling, about D.L. Moody was actually given first by John Bunyan. And, and, and I think that, that maybe a little bit more, it was actually written in the front of John Bunyan's Bible, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Um, and Actually, I don't think you said that one was from D.O. Moody. Yeah. You said something else right after that was D.O. Moody. I did draw a girl with the remember I did Dwight L. Moody. Yep, and he quoted D.L. Moody as saying that oh, particular right. comment. Okay. Now I'm sure I'm sure D.L. Moody and others have said that, but again, it's it's I think that it's important to try to research enough if you're going to use an illustration. One of the worst things that I have seen in independent Baptist churches is somebody told Chinese whispers game. And the first guy over here heard the illustration. By the time it got over here, it wouldn't look like nothing like the original. And they all acted like they were the ones that actually personally heard the story. So in America, we call that California. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, so that, that was, that was the, the one thing. Uh, attribution. Make sure that you know who you're applying it to. Um, and your illustrations is the final thing. And, and I thought, think both of you did a good job. You stayed with, with the Bible. You made some more quotes than what he did. Your quotes were on point, though. Um, you know, just because we like John Owen or John Calvin or Luther or whoever it may, John MacArthur, uh, you know, we don't want to stand up and say MacArthur said, and whatever he said has absolutely nothing to do with your message. Okay? Um, I think the comments so that, that you... Did, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm saying... It's easy to simply say because MacArthur is our hero or Calvin or Luther or wherever. Well, Luther said, Calvin said, MacArthur said, and you're like, what in the world does that even have to do with Hebrews 9, 11 to 14? Okay, so just making sure that those tie in. And so let me conclude with this. You made the comment in regards to tying it in, or tying in with what Christ has done for us and what he expects. And you covered this as well. But in verse 14, this would have been a perfect segue or a way to be able to conclude. 
you didn't actually tie it back into the verse. You said that you were going to cover 9, 11, and 14. You read the verse, and that was all we heard about the verse. You didn't actually break it down. So if you get to 14, for example, and it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, what's the next phrase? Clear or purify our conscience from dead works. That's exactly what you covered, but you didn't show it from Scripture. You actually, what you actually pointed out in my estimation was great because it is Scripture. But remember, if you're talking to a congregation who has no idea where that comes from, all it sounds, all it then sounds like is a good talking point. Oh yeah, here he goes again. He's talking about holy living. Well, if I stand up and I say. But First Peter chapter 1 says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Therefore, Mr. Christian, you and I don't have a choice in the matter. We must be holy, because God is holy. Now I've actually brought it in. And I will mention one more thing, because I completely forgot about it earlier. Anger his kids, so he's going to absolutely yeah. No, 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 no. This, this is, this is for all of us. This isn't. This is a, not. This is just a conclusion for everybody here. When. When we are, again, when we are dealing with the scripture, make sure that we are pointing to Christ at all times, from beginning to end. Again, it doesn't matter whether it's a quote, it could be a verse from a hymn, um, it could be a, a, another verse of scripture, but when you're dealing with that passage, and, and you guys did a great job on that tonight. You brought other passages in, but you didn't exegete those passages. In other words, your, your, your message tonight, your assignment was not Genesis 3, 6, and 7. It was Hebrews 9. So that's where you stayed. You used the Old Testament passages to reinforce what we see take place in the New Testament. You didn't go back and end up sticking in Genesis 3 and then we got a 10 minute sermon on Genesis 3. That's not what you did. So that was a great job. Sterling, same thing with you. You went to Exodus 26. You probably weren't more than two or three sentences in Genesis or in, in Exodus 26. And then you went right back. So that's great. Stick with your passage, but use the best commentary on Scripture as Scripture itself. So use the passage reinforce what you're saying, but get back to what your assignment is. And, and I say assignment because that's what it is right now, but if you're standing in front of a congregation, whatever passage you're speaking on at the time, that's what we need to get to the end of. And we're actually breaking that passage down because it's easy to get lost in the, in the woods when we do that. If you want a bad illustration, write this down, if you want a bad illustration of what poor preaching is, look up the preaching on YouTube, look up the preaching of Tony Hudson. The man is a sad joke in Baptist circles. There's rarely a time where he ever opened his Bible. But man, he was everybody's hero. And you need to watch it. I mean, there are hours worth of videos. I watched one this last week. I couldn't get through more than three minutes of it. Big Southern guy, and he ranted and hollered and spit, spit and and talked about pants on women and long hair on men and his yeah, yeah, his handkerchief, yeah. But you watch that—that's not preaching. That's showboat. 
That's a showboat man. Okay. You were talking about verse 14. Spurgeon uh, gave a sermon, and he started it out with, Now, I've done this passage before three years ago, and I feel like I've cheated you. And then he went on to the second portion of verse 14 and gave the full sermon on that second part of 14. It, it kind of gets overlooked because everyone's looking at the red heifer and, and the sacrifices and, and all of that stuff. And then there's just like this little blurb, but it's a very important yep. little blurb that kind of gets overlooked. Because yep. everyone's focusing on the, the, um, the sacrifices. But, and I haven't read that particular one, but more than likely my guess is, knowing Spurgeon, he probably went to show from the Old Testament how they couldn't purify their conscience, how they couldn't do good works, that they were dead. And it, excuse me, actually took Christ's coming and his sacrifice to be able to change the way that we can approach God. Hebrews 10. Exactly, Hebrews 10. It's coming up. It's the progression. That's what verse-by-verse -verse exposition is. You know what's coming. And you bring the people along with you to get to that point. It's one of the most exciting parts of, of, of pastoral ministry. You look at verse 11, the first word, but. So if you see that, you know, something from the past. Yep. The first verse, or therefore. Verse 15 starts off with therefore. And there are a couple other verses in this chapter that, that start off with therefore. And that's important. <laughs> when I'm having a bad day, I read Romans 7. And then I get to Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. That's why I say it so often. It's one of my favorite passages. Thank you for your participation. I realize we're a little bit longer. Um, thank you, Ryan, again. Amen to both of you. Uh, you and Sterling both. And uh, I'm encouraged. This, is, this to me is really exciting. And uh, I look forward to seeing how you take these things and implement them the next time. Right, so. Give me a little break. Yeah. And then Mike will cover, and if anybody else wants to take a 15-minute uh, um, section next week as well, then um, we'll add that. Otherwise, we'll just work on... No one takes it. Are we allowed to do it again if we want to? Um, what do you guys think? Well, I mean, he did just 11 through 14, so he has the rest of the chapter that he could... Yeah. Or he could go back over and relearn some things and bring us something new. Mm -hmm. You'll never exhaust the scriptures, mm -hmm. ever. So if nobody else, uh, if any of you want to do that, let me know and I'll put you in. Otherwise, you can plan on I doing something. just say it was an encouragement to do it, to actually sit down and study Hebrews and actually study, study, and not just show up to the class. So I would encourage anybody who's hesitant to try yeah absolutely let's pray thank you father for this evening thank you for what we learned from both brother ryan and brother sterling in the passages from hebrews 9 there's so much here and every one of us could speak for hours on on, on what we have learned just from this one passage and we would never exhaust it entire commentaries have been written on the scriptures and it's important for us to continue learning to be able to share with others 
I pray that this is not an exercise in futility, but one that would encourage each one of the men here and others who will come after. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.